Well, good morning, church. He is risen. In. Love it. Love it. Well, this morning is going to be a little bit unique. Uh, I don't know if you have a, have a favorite pastor. Uh, if you do, you get to hear them this morning. Uh, we, we're going to introduce you to this, this story tonight. And you're going to hear three different parts of this story from, from each one of us. And each part of that story points ultimately to the gospel. The gospel points us to Jesus. And we're here this morning and celebrating this morning because he is risen. Because I wasn't fishing for it, but I'm glad you guys are ready. That was awesome. I love it. I was not fishing, I promise. I'm not, that's, that's great. But I'm going to invite you to a story, into the story this morning. So last night, or yesterday afternoon, I got to participate in a Passover Seder meal. Several families in our church got together and we walked through the Passover meal, the prayers, the scriptures, the reminders of why we believe what we believe and why we are here this morning looking towards the Messiah. And as I was sitting there and thinking about what we were doing and processing all of what, what we were taking in and, and all the symbolism of each element that we had, I could not help but think, man, what an incredible picture of what we're going to look at this morning. And so our story starts at a different Passover meal. Jesus is spending time with his disciples, the 12, and he's having a meal, much like we did yesterday. They're relaxed. They come free, ready to enjoy the company of what they're doing. They're reclining. They're eating. They're, they're drinking. They're, they're spending time together in fellowship. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's trying to help them understand what is going to be happening in the coming hours and coming days and coming weeks. And the disciples are, are, are confused. The disciples don't quite understand what's taking place, and they ask, well, where are you going that I can't go? What, what are you, I, don't, I don't understand, Jesus. What, what is it that you're, that you're going to be doing that we, we can't participate in? And Jesus gracefully continues to answer the questions and continues to tell them truth, continues to pray for them, and continues to invite them into what he is doing. He lets them know that one of the people sitting in that room would betray him. And as they're looking around, they're saying, well, surely not us. We, we, we spent time with Jesus. We're not going to betray Jesus. And Peter, one of the people sitting there, a disciple of Jesus, usually one of the ones in the story who's first to speak, says, well, Jesus, I would, I would absolutely never betray you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, before the rooster crows three times, you will betray me. And I got to think in this moment, Peter is just awestruck. Peter has seen Jesus do incredible things. Peter has witnessed miracles, seen truth, and not that long ago confessing, absolutely, I, I, I firmly believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah, you are the one we were waiting for. And Jesus even told him, hey, on your, on your confession of faith, on what you said right there, I'm going to build my church. And so that's the Peter that is sitting here listening to Jesus tell him, hey, you are going to deny me. I believe Peter in this moment wouldn't think of it. He was bold. He was, he was ready to be just all in for Jesus. 
He even says, Jesus, I will give my life for you. And I believe in this moment, he firmly believes that. And I believe him. But the story continues. As the meal ends, Jesus leads his disciples to the garden of where it all takes place. They're spending time together. Jesus is praying. Jesus is worried uh, about what is going to take place. Guards come. They start to arrest Jesus. Judas, the one who was going to betray him, leads them to Jesus, and Jesus openly says, here I am. And Peter, being the bold one, says, with his actions, no, he goes and he takes the sword. He cuts off one of the guards' ears, and, and, and Jesus says, no, put your sword away. Don't, no, this is what we're not what we're doing today, and heals the guard. As Jesus is arrested, Peter, I imagine in this moment, is, 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 is amped up, is ready to go. He's like, no, no, what, this, this, this is not is what's supposed to be happening. He follows close behind he and another disciple followed Jesus as he's taken away and carried and, and brought before Annas and brought before the high priest. When the comfort of being in front of Jesus and being with Jesus is removed, fear creeps in. Temptation creeps in. The man sitting at that meal who was adamant that he would never deny Jesus and that he would lay down his life for Jesus begins the temptation process. As Jesus is led into the high priest, I'm going to read a section of scripture. It starts in John 18, verse 15. It says, Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. Fear creeps in. So the other disciple, the one who knew the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? A servant girl. Not somebody who had a whole lot of power in this moment. Not somebody who could, who could make a claim saying, oh no, you're, you're being arrested too. A servant girl comes to Peter. I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them, warming himself. That's the first time. Peter's got to be wondering in his mind, what did I just do? I just told a servant girl that I, that I, that I, was not, I wasn't even affiliated with Jesus. And he steps away from the door and he tries to hide himself and, and, and gather himself with other people standing around the charcoal fire, warming himself. Maybe watching the fire glow as the embers glow, as the, as the, as the breeze blows through the fire. Peter's got to be wondering, what did I just do? It continues a little later in Scripture. It picks up in verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, the ones he was with, you aren't one of his disciples too, aren't you? And of course, Peter here has another opportunity. And he denied it. He says, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again. And immediately, 
a rooster crowed. This story is an account so important that every single writer of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, included it in their gospel. And all three, other than this, said that he goes out and he weeps. And he weeps bitterly because he has failed Jesus. He had an opportunity to be bold. He had an opportunity to say, absolutely, I'm with him, and you better take me too. But he said, no. I, I, in other accounts, he says, no, I don't even know the man. Peter fails Jesus. In the moment of his temptation, in the moment of, of this simple question, he realizes how weak he truly is. He realizes that apart from Jesus, he can absolutely do nothing. That his boldness and his courage were nothing without Jesus. And so this creates some tension, does it not? Because Peter, the one who, who Jesus says, I will build my church on this rock, on your confession, I will build my church, is right here saying, no, I don't even know this man that you have taken away. It's a dark moment in Peter's life. And so I want to ask you a question. Where are the times that you've been tempted and failed? Where are the times you've been tempted to maybe to stand up for your faith or maybe to, to go one step further and say, yeah, absolutely, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And when the temptation came, you said, I don't know, or you backed away from him. Peter goes from boldness to failure. The Peter who was bold in the, in the meal, the Passover meal, now has walked away in shame and bitterness and, and anger with himself that he had failed Jesus. Where are you in this story? Because I believe every single one of us at some point in our life have been in this moment. An opportunity has come arise, yet our temptation and our weakness is more evident and we failed. Where in your life have we tried to rely on our own strength and failed. It's a dark moment in Peter's life. It's a scary moment in Peter's life. It's a moment where we come and say, I don't know. I, I, what, what could happen? Thankfully, there's more to the story for Peter, and there's more to the story for you and me. Well, they took Jesus out and they crucified him. And the days after they crucified Jesus must have been the darkest days of Peter's life. He had lost a dear friend. But it was much more than that because when Jesus died, Peter lost all of the hope that he had for this life. He lost all of the hope that he had for eternity. All those things were focused in Jesus, and Jesus was gone. And he couldn't really comfort himself by thinking about the way Jesus died. Um, you know, if he had been uh, heroically leading his troops into battle and had died at the moment of victory, he might have taken some consolation of that, but that's not what happened, or... And at least it didn't seem like it at the time. And Peter couldn't look at his own performance in the whole thing and say, well, you know, at least I can be consoled that I was faithful to the end. 
because he sees himself having a cowardly, despicable role in the whole thing. And so it wouldn't surprise me if he was laying awake at three in the morning, staring at the ceiling in agony. And then the third day, Mary Magdalene comes running, and it sounds like things are even worse. Please open your Bibles to John 20. And in John 20, I'd like to begin by reading verses 1 and 2. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Well, even in his grief, even in his shame, Peter was a man of action, and so he got up, and he began to run toward the tomb. And so verses 3 and 4 say, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. So maybe they were trying to get to the tomb so that they could try to find some clues to figure out where the body of Jesus had been taken. Maybe they were running to the tomb because they thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe Mary went to the wrong tomb and she's mistaken and we'll get there and find out his body's still there. And so, so they, they couldn't wait to find out, and so they ran, and they're running with all their might. And even though, you know, Peter, he's the man of action, John's younger, and he's got the fresher legs, and so John outruns him. And he gets there first. And John, when he gets there, he, he stoops and he looks into the tomb. And so, verse 5, And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. And so John, he's a good Jew. He probably doesn't want to be defiled with a dead body, and so he arrives at the tomb and he just looks in rather than going into the tomb. But as I said, Peter is the man of action. And so he arrives at the tomb. He doesn't care about being defiled by a body. He runs right in because he has to know what happened. And so, verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. And so he runs in and he sees the linen cloths. And as he's looking at the linen cloths, there's something that doesn't quite make sense. Rereading verse 6 and verse 7. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. So the linen cloths were lying there, and the head cloth was folded up, lying there as well. And when grave robbers come, they don't take the time to undress the corpse and leave the clothes behind. They don't take the time to fold clothes that they're leaving behind. They take the body, clothes and all, and run. And so this doesn't make any sense. Why are the linen cloths there? Why is the cloth that was around his head folded up John, 
who was with Peter, wasn't only a better runner than Peter, he was a better detective. And so in verse 8 it says, Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. And so John sees the linen cloth, he sees the headcloth folded, and a spark of faith and hope begins to glow in John's heart. He begins to think, and things start to come together for him. But Peter, he seems to be slower. Verses 9 and 10, For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. And so there's no spark of hope, no spark of faith that seems to be kindled in Peter's house, in Peter's heart. He just heads home. But something happens later in the day that even Peter can't miss. And so down in verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And so Peter could not misunderstand. Jesus was alive. And Peter's happy that Jesus is alive. And yet his emotions are complicated. Because Jesus is alive, Peter loves Jesus. Peter's not sure Jesus loves him anymore. I mean, the last time, Jesus' hour of greatest need, there Peter is, saying, I don't even know this guy. Wow, can, can Jesus have any use for Peter? Have you ever felt like Peter? Have you ever been at a point in your life when you're saying, wow, you know, I'm, I'm really glad Jesus is alive and all, but I'm not sure that he has any use for a person like me. I mean, I'm glad he died to bless all those other people, people who maybe deserve him, but I don't. And so I'm not so sure that Jesus' resurrection is going to help me. I'm not sure Jesus can love a person like me. I've denied him. I've failed him. I've let him down. It's wonderful he has plans for others. I'm not sure those plans include me. Can Jesus use a person like Peter? Can Jesus use a person like me? Can Jesus use a person like you? And so we pick up Peter's story in John chapter 21. If you have to turn your page, I invite you to do so. And Jesus reveals himself to his disciples in a particular manner. Notice with me what it says in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. In this way. Everything Jesus does is for a reason. 
He wants to teach his disciples what it means to follow. He wants to teach his disciples what it means to hear the word of God and to walk in obedience. He wants his disciples to experience life and life abundantly. So he reveals himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples, they were together. So there's seven of them. They're at the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and Peter, being, as you have already heard, the one quick to action, says, I'm going fishing. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out, and they got into the boat, but, at, but that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. So they're out on the boat, and they've been fishing all night, which is the common time to fish in the Galilee. You wouldn't fish during the day. It gets too hot. There's a lot of reasons and conditions why you would not fish during the day. You fish at night, but they caught nothing. And I want to show you a couple of different pictures that Jesus uh, gives his disciples and that John records for us in his gospel. And the first one is this, is they caught nothing. This isn't the only time that Peter has been fishing and caught nothing. Perhaps, I'm not a fisherman. Maybe some of you are. I I know those of you who are really hardcore, if you don't catch anything, but you're out on the water, you're just glad to be out there. Um, But when you're a fisherman making your living, wanting to provide food and make fish sell and all this kind of stuff, you want to catch something. But they catch nothing. And there was a time in in, in Peter's past, in Luke 5 and Matthew 4, you don't need to flip there, where Jesus, and this is the first time that Peter and Jesus meet that we know of, and Jesus climbs into Peter's boat, and Jesus begins to teach the crowd. Peter had had been up all night, and he'd been fishing, and he hadn't caught anything. So they come back to the, the shore. Jesus is using his boat. His nets are hanging to dry because they had to dry before they could go back out and they could fish again to preserve the quality of the nets. But even though Peter had caught nothing, after sunrise, the time when you don't fish, Jesus says, hey, let's go out. and Let's go out into the deep water and I want you to put your nets down. All right, P- Peter is an expert fisherman, and Peter knows this area well. He knows the Galilee. He knows how to fish for this particular spot. Jesus is not a fisherman. He's a carpenter. He, he works with wood. He works with stone. But Jesus says, let's go out into deep water. You will catch a fish. You will, you will catch so many fish, in fact, that your, your boat will be overflowing with them. Peter knows two things. Number one, you don't, catch, you don't fish during the day, and you don't cast your nets in deep water expecting to catch fish. However, Peter, while sometimes slow to listen and respond, he is very quick to listen to Jesus here. He says, okay, Jesus, because you have said this, I will do that. So they put out the boat. You can imagine this, this boat going out slowly. Everybody's watching, going, why are you going fishing in the middle of the daytime? That's not when you fish. What is going to happen? Peter casts his nets over the side, and he catches a whole lot of fish. So much so that the nets begin to break. They pull it all into the boat. The boat is, like, loaded down to the, to the water's edge. He has to call for help from another boat to come bring him back and all the fish. At the shore... Peter recognizes a bit of who Jesus is, and he recognizes that Jesus is very different than him. And he goes up to Jesus, and he recognizing, in recognizing his sinfulness before Jesus, Jesus replies to him, while Peter's like, Lord, please forgive me. I'm not, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. 
Jesus says, don't be afraid, Peter. Don't be afraid. I'm going to show you how to fish for people. And then he says, in the gospel account, he says, follow me. Follow me. This was, this was Peter's first invitation to become a disciple of Jesus. And Peter leaves everything, and he goes, and he follows. Now, John, as, as you have already heard, is someone who has great insight. In our story in John 21, they're out fishing. John is one of them. Notice with me in verse 4. They've caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus calls out to them, men, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them. You will find some. So when you hear caught nothing and then you see Jesus do this, you're like, wait a second. This has happened before. So they did, verse 6 says, and they were unable to haul it in because the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, he said, it is the Lord. Peter, quick to action. John, very quick to insight. He knows from this one picture, that's Jesus. Peter, quick to action though. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped. In other words, he secured his outer garment and he plunges himself into the sea. But since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got there, they got out on land and they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. So you can see this picture. Peter's like, I'm going. He secures his clothes, he jumps, he swims, and the rest of the disciples are pulling this net full of fish to the shore. And around a fire is Jesus. Not just around any fire, but around a charcoal fire is Jesus. This type of fire is only mentioned two times in the Bible. My translation has charcoal fire. The other time, one of the times is here, the other time you already heard today. Peter, just a few days earlier, is gathered around a fire trying to warm himself in the, high in the priests of the high court of, of Annas. And people come up to ask him, hey, aren't you his disciple? And he says, no. And they ask again, and he says, no. And they ask again, and he says, no, I'm not his disciple. I am not one who is following him. A couple days earlier, that was the fire he's gathered around. This fire though, contains a different story. Around this fire, Jesus is going to show himself again as a person who is full of truth and full of grace. So, the disciples arrive on land. They see a charcoal fire, fish, and bread. And Jesus invites them, come, have breakfast, in verse 12, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. They knew this was Jesus. They knew it so much that they kind of wanted to ask, but they knew they shouldn't because they knew it. They knew it. No one wanted to say, wait, are you Jesus? Because they knew it was Jesus. Only Jesus would do something like this. 
They had seen Jesus walking, talking, eating, and providing for them. They have no doubts in their mind as people who knew Jesus very intimately, as well as you might know your best friend. They knew Jesus was here and he was alive. And it says in verse 14, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. In Jewish tradition, it takes two or three witnesses to establish something as truth. The fact that it says this is the third time, this is rock solid truth. Jesus is alive. So you have the first picture caught nothing, the second picture of this charcoal fire that they're gathered around, and around this charcoal fire, Jesus has another conversation with Peter. And this conversation happens three times. Three times. Jesus asks him in verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now what's he talking about? All right, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than these boats? Do you love me more than these fishing expeditions? Do you love me more than these men? I want to suggest to you what he is asking is he's hearkening back to John chapter 13. And Pastor Cameron told this to you earlier. When they're gathered around the table at the Last Supper, at that Passover meal, and, and Jesus is predicting his death, and Peter says, no, I will follow you no matter what, even to the end. The quote from John 13, 37 is, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. He says, even if all of these other ones fall away, I will not fall away. And then the denial happens three times. And so Jesus comes to Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter doesn't just answer. Notice what happens. It says, Peter was grieved. This friend, this Lord, this person who he had decided to follow and who Jesus had called him into following him years before by the shores of the Galilee where they are at right now. He hears that question the third time. You can almost imagine Peter's mind going back to a couple days ago, three times, three times, three times. Do you love me? Jesus asked Peter. Peter's grieved, and he asked him. He says, Lord, you know everything. He doesn't, he doesn't just say, of course, Lord, of course I love you. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. What is Peter's everything? Peter's everything includes his sin, his denial, his shame, his pride, his self-sufficiency. Notice, P Peter does not hide, dismiss, or cover up what had happened in the past. 
He doesn't try to look better than he is, nor does he wallow in self-pity and say, oh, woe is me, I could never become a follower of Jesus again. He doesn't attempt to try harder and say, Jesus, I promise, whatever happens, I will make this up to you. He doesn't make any sort of comments like that. He says, being grieved, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know all of my sin. You know all the ways in which I have gone away from you. And yet, God, you also know that I love you. And it's true. Jesus knew Peter loved him. He knew Peter loved him. But he also knew that Peter needed to be called out again. Notice what happens. He says, feed my sheep, Jesus responds. I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. Verse 19 says, he said this to signify what, by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. He knows Peter's heart, but he's calling Peter to renew that, that desire that he had made days before when, he said, when Peter said, I will never leave you. And Jesus predicts even how Peter would die. And that kind of death, Jesus says, would glorify God. But notice what he says at the end of verse 19. After saying this, he told Peter, follow me. This person who had failed Jesus, this person who was totally unworthy of Jesus from the very, very beginning, was called again to follow now, Peter's role is going to be incredible, and if you've been with us for the past several weeks as we've studied the book of Acts, we've seen how God has used Peter in incredible ways to further his kingdom. Jesus here says, care for my sheep, feed my sheep. He's calling Peter to some specific tasks that he has Peter there for. But the question for us today is twofold. The first is, is what is your everything? What is my everything? God knows it all. God knows it all. He, he knows where we have been. He knows the path that we have taken, and he knows the path that we will take. What is your everything that keeps you from coming to God? But the second question is really more of a statement by Jesus. Jesus says to Peter, follow me, and he says the same thing to you and I. The biblical idea of follow means to leave everything and to go after Jesus. To leave everything and to go after Jesus. It means to leave sin, it means to leave things that are preoccupations but are not the most important thing. To follow means simply to leave everything and go after Jesus, to learn what he teaches, to hear his word and obey it, to become in every way possible by his grace to become like him. One writer said, there is only one discipleship and therefore only one following, namely the relationship to Jesus. See friends, the, the, the church is not made up of perfect people. We are a gathered body of people who have been 
sinners and who are redeemed by Christ's blood and who have been restored and who've been made whole by his death and resurrection. And that is why today is such a celebration. It's more than bunnies. It's more than chocolate. It's more than um, a yearly time to get together with family. It's to be reminded that Christ has restored us and made us whole because of his work on the cross in raising to life. And so Peter is asked by Jesus, follow me. And that's the same question to you today. If you've made that decision to follow Jesus, say again, God, you know my everything. Jesus, I want to follow you, regardless of what that means for my life. Because following Jesus is not always simple. You can hear how Peter's story is going to end. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He's going to face some really difficult circumstances in life, but it's worth it because it's for God's glory and he is all in in following Jesus. That's the call. Have you made that decision? If you haven't, the book of Romans says this. It says, this is the message of faith that we proclaim, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. There's no lack of certainty there. You will be saved. For one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I love what one of my friends in this area says. He says this. He says, friend, you were worth Jesus to God. You, in all of your everything, you were worth Jesus to God. You were worth God sending his one and only son to become a sacrifice, a perfect, atoning sacrifice to pay for your sin. And now Jesus, you can imagine maybe by a, a 21st century fire or a building like this, he says, come, follow me. Leave everything and follow me. Let's pray together. Our Father and our King, it's a big ask, but it's an ask, God, that when we respond and we say, yes, Jesus, we want to follow you, it's an ask that you give us perfect provision for, that you give us perfect grace for, that, God, you don't leave us by ourselves. You, in fact, dwell, indwell us with your Holy Spirit and give us not only the ability to know what is right, but the power to do what is right. And I pray for my friends here, wherever they are at in their relationships with you, God, some of them may be really, really complicated. Some of them, there may be a lot of history and a lot of baggage. I pray, God, this morning that you would show yourself to them in a way that is so strong that they would say, yes, Jesus, I follow you again today with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my strength. Lord, it's for you 
that we have been made and fashioned and created with purpose. And it's for your glory that we are here. Be glorified in our lives as we seek to know you and continue to make you known. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the book of Revelation, there's a scene that happens. And John, the apostle, is there, and, and he says, who is worthy? Uh, he says, who, who is worthy? There's a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And the text says, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look into it. And John's crying and crying because no one is found worthy to open the scroll or even to look into it. And then one of the elders in verse 5 says, Stop crying, look, the line from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. And so there's a new song that's sung in verse 9, and the elders gather around the lamb, and, and they sing this. They sing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered, and you redeemed people by, for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made all these people from all different places a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Verse 11 says, Then I looked, this is John writing, and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands, and they sang with a loud voice, The Lamb who is slaughtered is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. John writes, I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor, glory and dominion to the one, that is Jesus, who is seated on the throne, that is the one is God, and to the Lamb who is Jesus forever and ever. And so we're going to end by singing this today. If you want to stand, I invite you to stand as we sing praises to our living God. Amen. We bless you, Lord God. We thank you for today. You are alive, and we celebrate that truth tonight, or this morning. God, we thank you for the life that we have in Jesus, and I pray for my friends here, wherever they are at in that journey with you, God, that you would lead them and that you would guide them, that, you would, that they would look to you as a source of wisdom and strength in, in life, in both a supernatural sense and in life, even for now. God, thank you for being more than enough for us this day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here with us. Next week, our services start at 9.30, all right? 9.30 next week. Uh, if you're guests with us, thank you so much. It really means a lot that you would come and that you would join us today. We, we don't take that lightly. We want to know Christ and to make him known. I invite you to join us on that journey. Um, there was one more thing I was going to tell you, and I cannot recall. Oh, I know, I know. Next week, we're starting a new uh, five-week sermon series called Teach Us to Pray. We're going to be looking at the disciples' prayer from Matthew uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I just love it because all of us, one of the areas I know I want to continually grow in in my life is my prayer life. And we want to help you do that well. So if you want to join us for that study next week, we kick it off with Pastor Cameron next week. And then I'll be teaching the month of May. So may the Lord bless you this day as you go out and you celebrate the resurrection of his son, Jesus, the Messiah. You're dismissed.